The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hi there, and welcome to Comedy Album Book Club, the podcast in which we listen to an influential, loved, hated, or rarely heard comedy album, and then talk about it with comedians and comedy nerds. I'm your host, Jason DeLine, an actor and comedy enthusiast. In this episode, we discuss George Carlin's album, Class Clown, his third of 20. We recommend listening to the album before listening to the rest of this episode. It was recorded on May 27, 1972 at the Santa Monica Civic Auditorium in Santa Monica, California, and released later that year in September. George Dennis Patrick Carlin was born on May 12, 1937 in Manhattan, New York. When he was two months old, his parents separated because of his father's alcoholism. Expelled from high school, he joined the Air Force, where he was court-martialed three times and discharged in 1957 at the age of 20. Two years later, while working as a DJ at a radio station in Texas, Carlin met Jack Burns, with whom he recorded the comedy album Burns and Carlin at the Playboy Club Tonight in 1960. Carlin went on to hone his comedy and appeared on various TV shows as characters such as The Indian Sergeant and Al Sleep, The Hippy Dippy Weatherman. In 1967, Carlin put out his first solo album, Take Offs and Put Ons, followed by the very popular FMAM in 1972. His most famous bit, The Seven Words You Can Never Say on Television, was recorded for Class Clown. Carlin was arrested for performing this routine in 1972. Carlin became synonymous with hippies and counterculture as he pushed the limits of comedy and put a lens on not just everyday life, but on the establishment. Many modern comedians cite Carlin as an influence, noting that he was so prolific that he covered almost every topic imaginable. Carlin hosted the premiere episode of Saturday Night Live in 1975, hosting a second time in 1984. He appeared in various films and TV series and made several specials for HBO. In 2001, he won a Lifetime Achievement Award at the 15th Annual American Comedy Awards. After a series of heart attacks and being treated for drug addiction, Carlin died of heart failure in 2008 at the age of 71, one week after his last performance in Las Vegas. As per his request, his ashes were spread in front of various New York nightclubs he performed in and over Spofford Lake in New Hampshire, where he spent many summers attending camp as a child. Considered by many to be the most influential and possibly best comedian of all time, no conversation about comedy is complete without mentioning George Carlin. Today we're joined by our producer and comedy nerd, Matthew Ardill. Hey. How are you? Good, thanks. Good. Uh, comedian Jim McAleese. How are you, Jim? I am president. Great. Good to hear. Congratulations. <laughs> wow. I thought we were doing it. Good. We've had an upgrade, folks. <laughs> this just in. 
Uh, and actor and comedian Robin Archer. Hello. How are you, Robin? I'm good. How are you? I'm great. Uh, that was fun. We just listened to Class Clown. And uh, I know you're a huge Carlin fan. Yes. yes uh, well, we probably all I think are. I we all are probably yeah. in some way or other. Yeah. yeah, yeah, whether we know it or not. Mm-hmm. Um, now, Jim... Um, Jim has been a uh, stand-up comedian since 1979, and he also teaches stand-up at the Second City. Uh, you were there at the near the beginning of Yuck Yucks. Yeah, and, about a year later. And you were at the live performance at the O'Keefe Center here in Toronto of it. the Class Clown. In uh, 1972, 1972, I saw him do the material. Tell us a bit about that. Well, what mm-hmm. had happened, my buddy and I, we, we used to listen to comedy albums, and we were listening to FMAM in his room back in the day. And he says, hey, this guy's coming to Toronto. Let's go see him. And I never even thought of doing that. And so uh, we bought tickets, went down. We're going to see him do the album, right? Right. And uh, he came out, and everybody's yelling the bits from the FM AM, do the hippy-dippy weatherman or whatever, <laughs> the newscaster. And and he goes, well, I don't, uh, I don't like to do the same material over and over again. I get bored with it. And then he went into Class Clown. Everybody applauded. And it must have, I felt like two hours. I think it was, it, wow. you know, and. So every, no one had heard any of it before. No, it yeah. was just like, when it got to the seven words, we were just amazed. <laughs> like when we're listening to the album, the applause is there, but it was, I recall it being deafening at the O'Keefe Center. Wow. And that was the night after he got arrested in Milwaukee. Wow. The night oh, after? Yeah. Wow. Because <laughs> <laughs> during the concert, somebody threw a joint up on the stage and he picks it up and he goes, I'll have you know I'll be going to the police station with this. <laughs> <laughs> so did, did he mention anything about being arrested about doing the bit? No, he didn't doing? he didn't talk about it, mm-hmm. but I you know I've seen him in interviews he says he understands it was an outdoor concert and there were kids ah, around so okay, that's, okay. that's he understands the sensitivities of people. So there was no incident at the O'Keefe Center then. There was no, no, not at all cuz were enclosed and we all paid to see that so. and was everyone on board uh, was there anyone in the audience that you remember who at were the very beginning or? uh somebody stood up and left he he started making fun of salesmen and he called them hookers and then the same you know and hookers were salesmen and then he says and then salesmen are hookers you know which is the same thing but, right and somebody got up in the front row and left wow and so probably a hooker did one of the it was a man it was a man in a leisure suit and um yeah, so um, maybe he thought, hey, that reminds me. And then... Uh, uh, yeah, so, I've got work to do. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, so did you... Uh, what was your reaction after you left, after you walked out of that place? What was the feeling? I was the... 19 years old, and I said, that's the job. That's what I wanted to do. Because yeah. when we listened to FMAM, we thought all the jokes have been told in the world. We just didn't... Uh, before that, it was always mother-in-law jokes, Alan mm-hmm. King and, and the old the old school uh, comics. Sure. And this is something new and fresh, and he's close to our age. He was 34 at the time. But he was sort of, as he, he was self-titled, uh, the counterculture spokesman. And we just thought it was cool. He's got the long hair and the beard and the, the jeans. He's mm-hmm. not dressed up in a tux or a suit. And it was just uh, refreshing to us. And so that's why when I see today young comics getting into comics that are doing something different. I understand that. You know, if I were a young man, I'd be into that too, you know. So, mm, sure. yeah, Carlin's the guy for me. That was the job. It took me seven years, though, to finally find a place to go to perform. And wow. that was Yuck Yucks. And that was my, uh, I mentioned this to Matt in class. I, um, 
I was on 17th out of 19 comedians on amateur <laughs> night. But I had a routine. I went on stage and I did the routine and got good laughs and good enough to uh, graduate to regular nights right away. Wow. So I was able to perform in front of a professional crowd, a paying crowd, uh, about six nights a week. That was my gymnasium. Wow. I was there every night after work, uh, just um, uh, performing as much as possible. And I was headlining in six months. The only thing is, back in Toronto in 79, there were only 17 comedians, so there wasn't <laughs> much to climb over. So. Yeah, I thought the same thing when you were talking about like getting tickets to go and see him. I can't imagine like thinking about going to a show like that and just be like, should we buy tickets? We'll yeah. just go buy tickets. Yeah. 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 Instead of like, well, we got to be online yeah. at 8 a.m. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Six months before. Have American Express early access. Yeah, right. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, the, um, yeah. You couldn't you couldn't use your phone to buy uh, tickets back then, yeah. unless you actually called someone. Yeah. <laughs> so, do you remember uh, any of your best bits from those first few? For days? me personally, or yeah. Carlin? Um, my first bit was a routine on a hockey night in Canada. Danny Gallivan and Dick Irvin and having little fights during the game. Okay. And then I would do the three star announcement with the uh, English French announcer in the Montreal Forum. So you're doing characters and stuff. I mean, yeah. Okay. Um, cool. But I had the I don't know what it was. I you know I didn't know how to do this, but I had the savvy from watching comics all these years, and listening to Carlin tonight with Class Clown, I noticed he's getting a laugh every third line pretty well. Right. So he knew when mm -hmm. to punch it, mm -hmm. and I was doing that naturally too. And I was mm. listening. I was thinking back about when I did the Hockey Night in Canada routine. I was punching it. I would right. do a somebody would say. Uh, uh, I'm trying to remember the jokes now. Uh, this has to be the most exciting. Oh, I can't remember the bit now. So <laughs> it's uh, a while ago. <laughs> I would always do a fact and then punch it. Hmm. So uh, Dick Irvin would say, "Well, Danny, you're right on only one count. There it was the spring of '57, a bombing night, if I recall. But it was not the great Rocket scoring that goal. It was his younger brother Henri just breaking into the big leagues." Well, thank you, Dick, you pelvis head. You know, so I, I knew to come back with something. Right. Instead of just continuing on with a straight, yeah. straight dialogue. It has to be a great joke if you make them wait for it. Yeah, well, so. not just that. Just an audience really doesn't have that much patience in right. stand-up. They right. want to hear, okay, we heard your fact. Now we need to hear the laugh now. Don't keep going with more facts. Right. That's not funny. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, they get bored. Yeah. And it's almost like they, you've missed a beat. It's like you, you're playing, a, you know, you're playing a song or you're singing a song, and, and you've missed something, and the audience can feel it, right. and oh, I think he's missed something there. I think often they feel it if you feel it. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. Mm -hmm. Like, like well, yeah, the audience can smell fear yeah. or unease, and the yeah. thing that that strikes me particularly about listening to Class Clown is. Not everything needs to be a laugh. Not everything is supposed to be a laugh. But he's so at peace with just talking and telling yeah. that story yeah. that there's no there's no tension in that way. There's there's mm -hmm. no, no fear or concern on the part of the audience yeah. or on the part of the listener. Well, mm -hmm. there were lines there that really on paper don't get a laugh, right? But it's the way his voice, the use of his voice, and, and that's from his radio days, I guess. Sure. And he would he would alter the dynamics of it, you know, like uh, da, 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 you know, it's yeah. you can hear that he's purposely recording this album to be listened to, yes, and not watched like it is nowadays with Netflix mm -hmm. and all the concerts. Right. And we would listen to it like five to ten times a week, and we'd have the phrases, huh. you know, um, let's call the printer. Remember the the thing about the 
the dog crap in the window or whatever the fake dog yeah crap. yeah yeah, that's yeah, right. yeah yeah you know uh by the refrigerator all right thanks uh, <laughs> we'll call the printer um uh sure is strange you know the, those little phrases that when he was ending a bit you know, sure is strange and i think he right. said that with the with the novelty store i think and uh well it's a mystery you know i love that one in the religion one uh, well it's a mystery that's the priest coming back yeah <laughs> can't answer that well yeah. it's a mystery i think one of my favorite lines in the whole album is the the thing of like well they made questioners out of us yeah. and they and didn't have any out. answers <laughs> yeah. yeah 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 and that's a very uh, poignant line though because mm -hmm. most comics we are questioners and that's how we come up with material why is this mm -hmm. or what if we did this mm -hmm. you know well and it's he's one of the first guys to really be bold enough to question religion publicly like mm -hmm. that too and, and to, to not be afraid of it and, and again it speaks to that confidence where even the most controversial topics for the time he does it with such an easy breezy way about him yeah and this album sort of goes in and out of that stuff uh very subtly like there's a lot of juvenile humor in this album like there's probably five minutes worth of fake farts yeah. <laughs> and how to do them and you know he talks a lot about the actual class clown and the things that they did and then but then he starts getting into some subversive stuff about education about religion and mm -hmm. uh, about the establishment in general it's almost like he's trying to subvert your expectations yeah. at the top by setting the bar really low and then when he comes out later with this really heavy stuff that it's like oh there's there's more here so it's, it's kind like of a sneak attack in. yeah and that's yeah. A, there's yeah. a few jokes where i wrote down it's like it's like sneaking stuff in where mm -hmm. he's like he's just he's just like oh you think this is about something silly like dog poop but it's actually a subversive comment about american capitalism yeah you yeah. know so it's like it's really like he's really like easing people in and i think it's because like i'm thinking because it's the audience is so not used to that yeah. mm -hmm. i mean it's still such a novel concept at that time mm -hmm. for comics to be like that's a good insight that. because i mean he mentioned the vietnam war and mm -hmm. don't forget a lot of america back then was very right wing yeah like we we saw the protests but there were a lot of people in favor of the war yeah. mm -hmm. yeah. because the fear of communism and the domino effect and eventually to be on the shores of california yeah. and so uh yeah he he's he's subtly you you know coming He's using the doo doo caca at the beginning uh, to give them sort of that rhythm that when I get to this stuff, when I finish saying a fact, I'm going to punch it and you're going to laugh even though you're not in favor of this. Yeah. That you're not on the left side of the political spectrum. Yeah, I think there's an element of, of, of sneaking stuff in there, but I think there's also an element of I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to win your trust mm -hmm. with fart jokes. Yeah. And yeah. show you that this is going to be funny throughout. Right. And then with that trust, you're going to trust me and I'm going to take you where I want to go. Yeah. And it really does carry it throughout. Like, there's never a point in this where you feel uncomfortable with what he's saying. Even mm -hmm. though he's saying things that should make you uncomfortable. He's talking about controversial things. Like, when he brings the Vietnam up, you're never like, oh, no, here we go. What's this yeah. going to be about? No, he's he does it with that same easygoing nature and mm -hmm. you just trust that you're going to be okay and you do end up laughing. Yeah, because if you're a right winger and when he says that is what we're doing to that country, mm -hmm. you, yeah. you would be upset if that was just said in a in a uh, just a conversational setting. And mm -hmm. but he's using his voice and the way he says it and mm -hmm. you're just going along with it. The thing that I'm, I'm super interested to ask you, Jim, though, having been someone who actually saw like the, the, album. the, the routine yeah. performed live is 
the the only thing that I find uh, sort of unsatisfying about listening to Class Clown, I found it tonight when we were listening to it, and I found it mm-hmm. when I first discovered the album ages ago, is that it's not a constant through line, right? Like it's an assemblage of bits. Yes. There are, there are some obvious edit points, and I'm I'm curious to know how it came together as an actual performance because we talk about mm-hmm. like. This is how he leads people through, but we're not really hearing that full journey. Right, yeah. right. Because um, you said it was about two hours when you went, right, Jim? Yeah, the felt, album was I, less I, than an I'd hour. I swear it was two hours. Wow, the concert. I think now Lenny Bruce was doing the same thing six years before him. He was he had bits, and so I think Carlin picked up on that. So it's not necessarily a theme. Is that what you mean? A through line through the whole. Well, I just mean like like. You know, it's it's hard to say how, how say transition. like the Muhammad Ali piece fits oh. into a larger routine because it's yeah. clearly edited into the material yeah. there. Well, I know he later said that he does the heavy political stuff uh, for himself, mm-hmm. and uh, he does the dog and cat bits just to keep everybody uh, lighthearted. Mm-hmm. So he alternates it mm-hmm. like that. I think if you went through his albums, you probably would find that. You know what's really interesting is I, I listened today to... If I had a favorite Carlin album, it's probably Jamming in New York. Um, oh, yeah. yeah. Um, and I listened to that today, and it's it's inverted, right? Like, in this album, right. he starts with, like, the class clown stuff yeah. and the fart jokes and everything. And I think by that time, which was 1991, mm-hmm. he's so established in who he is. And you said, like you say, the political stuff is the stuff that he cares about. Yeah. He has a built-in audience that now cares about that stuff that he cares about. Yeah. The the political stuff and the, co- the social commentary is all completely front-loaded in yeah. that album. Right. Mm-hmm. And then after he does about 10 or 15 minutes of that material, he's like, hey, what a, let's talk about little things that bring us all together. Right, right. Yeah. Um, well, I meant and, to do that. And that's yeah. the sort of stuff where you would imagine, like, in the 70s, maybe he would do that first. Yeah. yeah. But mm-hmm. there, there's, like, I think you said he's had, like, he's recorded 20 albums. Yeah. It's really interesting to be able to listen through all of that mm-hmm. and watch the evolution of an artist mm-hmm. and also the evolution of how an artist interacts with and has built an audience. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, anytime he's on, on tour... You know they're sold out, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. well, I. Th- but getting back to that in '91, that's when he finally found his voice. Mm-hmm. So it took him over 30 years to get to that point. You know, but he learned jokes, and now he's he knows how to apply the mechanism of jokes into his social commentary. What triggered that was in around '87 he saw Sam Kinison, hmm. and uh, who was the screamer, mm-hmm. and I saw him live and. Uh, he's a former evangelist and it was the most moving performance I've ever seen. I, I was like staring at the ground for three days afterwards. But Carlin saw him, he says, yeah, I got to be louder and faster. Mm. And that's, and just be more forceful. I've got to have opinions. This guy has opinions. Mm. And he wasn't expressing that as much. Uh, maybe subtle, like in Class Clown with the Vietnam War. And that. Yeah. yeah, I think he always had them, but maybe didn't just... Yeah, I think he could hit them as hard. Yeah, it's, it's it's interesting though because towards the end of his career, like it mm. it he I think he over. tipped over. Yeah. Like yeah. he went over yeah. because it was just literally mm. just rants. Yeah. Uh, like yeah. I watched some stuff from one of his last mm-hmm. specials, and it's just like he's literally complaining about the things he's praising in Class Clown. He's complaining about education being, you know, open to all and without uniform. It's like he and yeah. he's complaining about. You know some of the same themes. In, interestingly, like the ec- ecological and commercial 
behavior in America is, is still there. Mm-hmm. But it's like, it's like, oh, I think he's just really angry at this point, and mm-hmm. I think he's kind of lost that thread that he that made him so special for so many years, mm-hmm. where he was able to find that balance. Mm-hmm. I think the sh- the sharpness of the thought is still there a lot in yeah. those later albums, uh, like complaints and grievances, and life is worth losing, and things like that. But I, I think that it's it, it tips over so far in that the stretches get longer between the jokes. Yeah, yeah it's you know like 10 I mean? minutes yeah. of rant, then yeah. a joke, as uh, opposed to like yeah. a minute I, and a joke. Uh, like I say, I have a, I have a ton of love for, for Class Clown, and I think like maybe the first Carlin stuff that I ever had was there was an album called Classic Gold, mm-hmm. which, was, which was collected. It had FM and AM and Class Clown and right. Occupation Fool on it. Uh-huh. Uh, which is also great. Occupation Fool has like one of the best openings of any comedy album ever. He gets out on stage and he's just like, hey. And he's like, well, you don't start working right when you get to your yeah. job, you know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the first well, 10 minutes are for you. <laughs> like, yeah. um, which is lovely. But I think that like the, the peak of his career for me, like the albums that are the sharpest and are the best dis- distillation of what I love about George Carlin would be uh, Parental Advisory Explicit Lyrics, Jam in New York, and Back mm-hmm. in Town. Yeah. Um, which are. Yeah, Back in Town is probably my favorite. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the first half hour of Back in Town is yeah. just like a complete tour de force. Yeah, yeah. fantastic. Mm-hmm. But then, yeah, then he almost turns into a beat poet or a slam poet mm-hmm. after that. Like some of his stuff later on, I, I, I think. With, yeah, with all the, it's bad the cliches, you, all the uh, yeah. he does a rant on the cliches, and it's great. Yeah. but it's a different thing altogether. It's uh, it's like a poem, and it's amazing he can memorize all that stuff. But yeah, yeah it's well, a I think he has a, he had a method. I don't know why I know all this stuff. But, uh, <laughs> I'm a huge fan, I guess. Yeah, I remember my son was impressed when I told him the story when I saw Carnage when that's a job. He goes, "Really?" And because now he's doing it. Oh, nice. Anyway. Um, what was my point? I was talking uh, memorization. Yeah, he um, he would read it on stage in front of three thousand people, but because he's Carlin, they allowed that. Oh, yeah. He would have the material and he would read it for several performances until really? he finally yeah. had it down, and then he would put the full scaps down and then go and, and do it from his memory. Right? Yeah, I saw I saw Carlin perform at Roy Thompson Hall in Toronto mm-hmm. with a notebook. Where he was like flipping through the notebook on a stool <laughs> and saying like, oh, let's try this one. Like he was working out bits on the stage oh, wow. at Roy Thompson Hall. Yeah. When was that, Robin? Uh, 2001, I think. So did, did that turn into a... Oh, yeah. yeah. What, what was yeah, it you then? Could then uh, I don't remember the exact album. Okay. It would be maybe wow. You Are All Diseased or maybe Complaints and Grievances. I'd have, wow. to, I'd have to check. Amazing. Yeah, yeah he a very prolific writer. Sure. You know, he just wrote down things and he knew how to turn it into a joke. He always knew the jokes needed to be there. No matter what point he wants to make about something, yeah, and that's what some of us don't realize sometimes. There, there are things that tick us off, and we want to talk about it, and and a lot of us we don't have the the training or the experience to go. Well, where do I go with this? You know, right. how do I turn this into a joke? He uh, when he died because he had like twenty albums, um, Sirius XM, the comedy channel, just played Carlin, mm-hmm. uh, twenty four hours, sure. and I don't think anything was repeated. Wow. Yeah. You know, so there's uh, that's the goal you want to get. Yeah. And yeah, he was working out stuff in, in concert because he was working towards his next HBO special. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And what I find so impressive about his body of work, too, is it's, it's, it's something that's always in motion. Like, the, you listen to that first album, it's very straight, men in suit, 
uh, sketch. Yeah. Very constructed. You, you mean the character. Burns and Carlin. The Burns and Carlin. Yeah, yeah. And then FM and AM is 50-50. The first half is the stuff for him. It's his new, he's finally figured out. And I was listening to the memoir of his daughter and like she talks about how he realized, no, I'm, I don't like the Indian sergeant. I don't like mm -hmm, mm -hmm. the wino radio and all these yeah. characters. I want to tell my truth. Yeah. So he does that album and you can hear it's like there's a distinct break between those two sides. And then comes Class Clown. And it's like mm -hmm. in every album, it's it's like, like he never stopped learning and he never stopped adapting as an artist, which mm -hmm. a lot of comedians don't do that. They find no. their they find their happy place and then they stay yeah. within that box. Well, and that's what makes it interesting to me is too, is like a lot of Carlin fans have different favorite albums. Like mm -hmm. you I was reading earlier, like what are the different eras of Carlin? And some people try to make it as simple as young Carlin and old Carlin. But yeah. I mean they're no it's almost like every album is its own era. Like mm -hmm. you yeah. can distill it into that moment in time and how he's affected by that moment in time, what he wants to talk about, how he wants to talk about it, how he's feeling, what drugs he's on. <laughs> like, yeah. mm -hmm. you know, yeah, uh, that's kind of fascinating. Well, he was constantly reinventing himself. Yeah. Like by the end mm -hmm. of the 70s, he was a parody of himself. Mm -hmm. uh, he was fading out almost. Mm -hmm. And we all, you know, because I think even Rick Moranis was doing Yeah, that. there's, there's that the SCTV. There's no and, green wine. Thing. And apparently yeah. he was, like, really upset by that. Was he? Yeah. Mm -hmm. like well, just probably... he was like, Because it was a realization that he is a caricature yeah. of who he yeah. was a decade ago. Mm -hmm. yeah. He's like, I'm, I'm a joke now. And, yeah. and that drove him to change even more. It yeah, drove sure. him further to create and be more yeah. unique. Uh, just a, a thing about Class Clown again. Uh, that's probably my favorite album. Even though I haven't mm -hmm. listened to it in 45 years, it's because I had it burned in my head <laughs> mm -hmm. after listening to it a hundred times. Um, the credits on the album, on the liner notes, is uh, thanks to Leonard Alfred Schneider for taking all the chances. And that's Lenny Bruce. Yeah. Mm -hmm. right. And that's really who his big influence was. Just sure. He saw that this guy has opinions and he's he's doing this. And that's where he wanted to be. Mm -hmm. And he felt because he was 30 at the time, he was sort of in between like uh, the 40-year-olds and the 20-year-olds. And he wanted to relate more to the 20-year-olds. Yeah. And that's how that came about. Yeah, it's interesting to me that uh, Lenny was such an influence on him because I feel like he became closer to Lenny much further down the line. Mm -hmm. um, he was much more accessible than Lenny for the average comedy fan. He was less the... Uh, sort of a lot pontificator less, you know yeah a lot less confrontational yes yeah but <laughs> the cadence is there like there are moments sure, yeah. on that on on uh, like the, that album on class clown where i'm like oh i can hear just the, the that that flow and i mean it mm -hmm. maybe it's because they're both like new yorkers who grew up in the same kind of you know melting pot of sure of yeah. influences but there's just that sort of like er, like how he breaks into a voice here and how he mm -hmm. leads right. into a joke there I'm yeah like, i can hear it but i mean like he's emulating a like an inspiration and a mentor but very him. much more laid back yes like yeah. when he had a very kinetic like yeah. caffeine like yeah. <laughs> sort of energy to him and carlin definitely had an energy too but he embodied that hippiness around yeah. it too. that's that's the thing like i find interesting about especially during this era of carlin like he feels very laid back and mm -hmm. chill mm -hmm. and like i you know you hear like the mountains of cocaine that he was consuming yeah. at the time. Yeah. I don't get that when I listen to it. It's like you think cocaine-y 80s comedians, like, oh, blah, 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 blah. Mm -hmm. but this is just, he's very like chill. He's very like, 
I think it was probably more LSD in in, in this particular time. Like, oh, like he he was around and... this time. Like he was. I thought coke came a little later. He and his wife were both doing it on a daily basis. Really? Uh, yeah. It was around in the late seventies. Yeah. And it was considered safe. Yeah, because like, it wasn't illegal. Right. It yeah. was just right. just a thing that people did, and like so. Apparently, his wife at this time was. Like going into rehab and stuff. Like she almost died from a mix of quaaludes, mm-hmm. cocaine, and and uh, alcoholism. Yikes! So it's like just a crazy like. And so it's like I don't hear that at all. Like I, it was just interesting. Right. Like it's just like there's a commitment to his material where he's he's like, okay, well this is my drug of choice, mm-hmm. but that doesn't get in the way of my performance, which is is interesting to me in a way. Well, yeah. Do we know if he was ever high during any of these recordings? He yeah. looked at the one he did in Arizona in the theater in the round. Oh yeah, uh, Carmen on campus. I think. Over. No, I think oh. it's after that one. Is it after that. Okay. Before or after that one, but it's a. Uh, yeah, I, I know the in recording. In a circle, yeah. and I forget the bits from it. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if I, I've only seen the video. I don't know if I've listened to the album or not on that one. I probably did, but I just remember his eyes just really. I want to say the album is playing with your head over. or something. No, I think that was even later, too. Even later? Um, but you could see that he was Yeah, when you affected. watch the video, you go, wow, that guy is really But, but you really? never, yeah. if you list, just close your eyes and listen to the material, you don't hear it. Yeah. You don't hear, yeah. like, he, his voice is, his voice coming through his jokes is yeah. so yeah. clear, and it's so realized, it's just astounding. Actually, now that I think of it, it was HBO, it was, it, because there was a disclaimer at the beginning of the show, a woman... Disclaiming about uh, or, or talking about how Carlin has, uh, he's using words to make a point and things yeah. like that, and um, yeah, I just re- it, it looked like is he going to get through this? You know, <laughs> wow. Sorry, Jason. I I think uh, you had a point there, but oh no, okay. I rarely do. <laughs> I fake it. We'll edit that out. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think I think one of the most. Like you said, he has, he's got a lot of eras to his career, mm-hmm. but I think one of the key things that he carries through all of those, like maybe not the Burns and Carlin era, but beyond that, I think he has an amazing ability to sound unrehearsed mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. and to sound really authentic and yes. to sound almost like this is a one-sided conversation and all of these things are occurring to him in that yeah. moment. Yeah, and he always sounds like he's calling out BS to me, too. Mm-hmm. I feel like mm-hmm. that's a thing that is always like from, through that. Even from his early sketch Very stuff, genuine. it was all about hypocrisy. It's yeah. all about hypocrisy and commercialism. Yeah. And that rings through from the beginning of his career to the end of his career. Yeah. Like That theme and you, between all of it. Because of that feeling of feeling like almost off the top of your head, it feels like you believe everything he says is what yeah. he feels about it. Mm-hmm. That's something you don't always get with comedians. You often mm-hmm. see, oh, okay, I get your joke. You clearly don't believe that. But like, there's nothing Carlin says that seems like he just wrote it to be funny. Mm-hmm. It's what he really believes. And that is so engaging to be able to put forth an opinion and make you think about it but also make you laugh at the same time yeah. and that that's what the best comedians well, do I'm, and i think he surpassed bruce very early on oh yeah uh, yeah with yeah. that but i think i think because because he seems believable i think it's his training he wanted to be an actor and yeah. so right. um well on the radio he'd have to be personal with people too and, and connect also with people. but acting is all about emotions sure and so 
you have to believe what you're saying to mm -hmm. own the words, they, they, even if the words are written by somebody else. Wasn't yeah. it Danny Kaye who was? That's who he wanted to he be. He wanted to be yeah. Danny Kaye. Mm -hmm. And he's like, yeah. I got my Danny Kaye plan. I'm going to start on radio, then I'm going to do comedy, and then I'm going to become an actor. Yeah. I can't think of like two more opposite energies. You know, yeah. I mean, I know yeah. he had the goofiness, Carlin, but the, the goofiness to me always felt put on. Yeah. It, it, and, and and sort of what he said later yeah. on too spoke to that. Like he he always seemed like he was more comfortable with the guy with a bit of a chip on his shoulder, and calling out like you said hypocrisy. But yeah. Danny Kay was like the most innocent seeming performer you can get. So yeah, he, he wanted to be Mister Entertainment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But that's how we fall into things in life, you know. Mm -hmm. um, uh, I wanted to be a stand-up when I saw him. That was the goal, but. And I did it, but I didn't get to the fame that he had, sure. and that was fine. I got to see the country. I, I worked at all the yuck yucks, coast to coast to coast, and uh, that was the job I wanted. I was happy with that. I didn't need to push to go further. Right. I didn't need the heartache when it failed. And did you start like? Did you feel like you were trying to emulate him or his style? And yeah, it took I think you a I while to find your own. How long did it take you till you were really you? Probably a, uh, maybe a year or two. Yeah. Okay. You know, but again, I like jokes, so I just tell jokes, uh, one-liners. Huh. And but that even took maybe seven years to finally wow. do that because I was doing sketches off the top. Like I said, hockey night yeah, Canada. Yeah. I would do a news parody, right. and I would have a ticker tape. Back in the day, we had ticker tape, and so I had that running in the background as I'm doing the bit. Right. And <laughs> which was a great vehicle to try out new material. Because you were allowed to sit and read like a newscaster would. So I'm on right, stage and right. just reading new jokes, <laughs> making them sound like a news item. <laughs> and then, uh, you know, uh, the, the Ku Klux Klan was, was uh, recruiting in Newfoundland today. Oh, and uh, tragedy struck the Klan members when they were mistaken for baby seals. <laughs> and uh, and I know so my I went, own... if I get a laugh, okay, that's in the act now. Right, yeah. That's a check mark. Yeah. Uh, I know with my own uh, pursuits of comedy, like I sometimes find it hard to focus because as a fan of comedy, yeah. I want to do voices. I want to do bits. I want to do stories. I want to do sketches. And like, did, did it take you a while to sort of focus to find what you, what you liked is the one-liners? Yeah, and... well, I kept refining it because <clears throat> when you first start out, you just try everything. Yeah. And you keep doing it over and over again, and then you start to realize, okay, that doesn't work, so that's gone. And it just gets tighter and tighter. And did you find, just because something didn't work, it wasn't necessarily the material, but how it married with who you are, like your persona? A little bit of that, but yeah. I think it was more the material that I was too wordy. Mm. I didn't know how to refine a joke, really. Uh, mm. It would just, I would, I would it, it came to me naturally for the longest right. time. And did you I ever improv up there? No. No. Uh, not on purpose. <laughs> <laughs> Only when I had a heckle. <laughs> But because I, I came across as likable, uh, I would always win, usually. Whoever right. said anything, I would just, I, w I wouldn't even think to try to be funny. I would just repeat what he said and then and comment on it. And right. a lot of times it would get a laugh. Sure. Just don't panic, that's all. Right. Just, mm -hmm. just uh, take it in. I always repeat what a heckler says to make sure everybody else sure, hears sure. it. And it gives me a few extra seconds that's to it. think of a comeback. Yeah, exactly, yeah. yeah. Um, Robin, uh, I remember the first time I saw you do stand up, yeah. and it really surprised me the style <laughs> that you adopted. It was good and it was funny. That's not the part that's surprising. Uh, but you know, you, you in in life, I know you pretty well. Uh, you're a a fairly soft spoken. Uh, maybe that's not quite the right word, but an even keeled guy. Sure. 
Um, and you, I, I think I would, maybe you think this is unfair, but I think I would describe you as an angry comedian. Definitely at times. Yeah. Yeah. And, yeah. and like, I didn't know you could talk that loudly. Like, <laughs> I, I, and I was really surprised because, because when I talk to you and you make, uh, jokes and asides, it, it's very wry and sarcastic and dry. And, uh, you know, you weren't quite Lewis Black or anything like that, but it was definitely a couple notches up from where mm -hmm. you are. And was that a choice you made early on or like uh, you must have been influenced by Carlin? I know oh, you're a huge absolutely. fan. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, and I think like particularly influenced by that louder, angrier period. Mm -hmm. So that was certainly something that I brought to it at first. Mm -hmm. uh, and then the other thing that uh, that I was at first was I think you made reference to like not improvising on purpose up on mm -hmm, stage. Mm -hmm. I was intensely scripted um, right, off yeah. the top, like to the point where like cripplingly I, so not cripplingly. No, mm -hmm. but like to the point where if I said, um, on stage, um, was written in a word document somewhere. Wow. Right. Like, wow. I, I knew the, the meter of things and the way that I wanted things to go. Mm -hmm. Uh, and I would write them out and then that's generally how I would, I would perform them. Yeah. Um, I got away from that by, uh, there was a couple of years where I hosted uh, theater sports. So I would do stand-up off the top of the theater sports show every Saturday. And it would be basically the same group of people coming to see the theater sports show <laughs> every uh -huh. Saturday. So it just got to a point where it was like, it's impossible to write a new right. five to seven minute set and every week perfectly. and memorize it perfectly. Right. Like yeah. It would be like, I would be on the subway on the way to the Bad Dog Theater and I'd be like... <laughs> What am I going to tell jokes about tonight? <laughs> like, really? Yeah. Right. Yeah. Wow. So it wasn't improvising like I didn't know what I was going to say when I got up there, but it was, a, I got to a place that was a lot more free form. And now I've, wow. I think there's sort of a synthesis right. there, which I feel good about. Mm -hmm. I think that I have at times tipped over into too angry, like mm -hmm. into a caricature. Right. So I really try to kind of pull back on that and, 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 and find a place for that, but also find a place for like the sort of, laconic aside well that's what i was gonna like ask that, you yeah. too like yeah do you it's neat to hear an ebb and flow to stuff too and it mm -hmm. surprises people if you come out with energy uh, that wasn't always there you have yeah. a reason for it as opposed to it's just your persona all the time exactly yeah. i'll have to come check you out a show yeah sounds like you've changed yeah. <laughs> uh the the really interesting thing about like getting back to carlin and about that like 20 albums you can see you can see him evolve as a comedian, but you can also, like, if you listen album to album, you can see the evolution of specific jokes. Like, you can mm. you can see him figure something out. There's right. a very specific example of it on Parental Advisory Explicit Lyrics and Jammin' in New York, where on the former, he's talking about war, and he's like, uh, the rockets and the bombs and the bullets are all shaped like dicks. I don't understand that, but it is part of the equation. And then in the oh, next yeah. album... He's figured it out, and he's got a joke for that, right? Uh, which is really cool. And you can see it also in like FM and AM and Class Clown, where like FM and AM has shoot his shit with two O's, and then right. that clearly yeah. evolves into seven, seven words, words you can't see on television. Yeah. And then yeah. Occupation Fool has a further extension on that, which I think is called Filthy Words. Yes, mm -hmm. um, because I think he he added. He, I think he talks about adding to the list. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. One of my favorite parts about that is when he said, "You're allowed to be. You're allowed to complain about being pissed off, but not about being pissed on." <laughs> <laughs> They'll bleep that part out. I think you know, that's it, fantastic. It's, it's, and the thing is, is, it comes from him getting fired 
in Vegas. Yeah, these are so, these are real words so that like, will really get you in trouble. Yeah, yeah. And it's, it's yeah. like he that basically he kind of has to thank that casino for yeah. creating yeah. the most like his definitive. Well, it was a huge bill. court case too. Uh, yeah, with yeah. the uh, so not it was the like FDA tw- the. Well, the FCC. FCC, yeah. But it was the like, FDA was yeah. had very little to do with it. Was like, it was like, well, he paid a lot of money for performance because he's opening for the Temptations, I think it was. Or something oh, like that. right. When he got fired, and it was like, he was like, they bought a house with the money from like his weekly paychecks in Vegas. Yeah, and yeah. it's like, but it created possibly one of the most important jokes of his career. Yeah. In, in, in a way. Oh, yeah. And, and and in comedy. I mean, it is just so iconic, this yeah. whole idea. And those words you still, for the most part, can't say during mm-hmm. prime time. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and he's added to them as time has, uh, as we've added filthy words to the lexicon as mm-hmm. well. I can't remember what the newer updates were, but I think he was on the Tonight Show in the 90s uh, saying there are a few more words. I believe it's uh, fart, turd, and twat. I love that they're all funny words too. Yeah. Well, the thing is, I was a young man. I was nineteen when I, when these albums came out, FM mm-hmm. and AM, and uh, FM AM and Class Clown, and it was just unbelievable to hear the word shit or the seven words heard in public when you're mm-hmm. in a place you you know there are rules that you're not supposed to say these words in public. So. That it's very risque to us at that age, you know. Yeah. So and it's just, it seems like comedy got more and more extreme from that. It started there, and then each generation that came along tried to push the envelope a little bit further, yeah. you know. And like, like Yuck Yucks, for example, was very successful in the early days. There was no alcohol sold there; it was a coffee house. Oh wow! And so on a Friday and Saturday night, it was filled with. 17 year old kids from high schools oh, wow. mm. because they would go back on a monday morning to school and go it's great it's it's not like tv there's swearing going on <laughs> you know i just i just love how just how much he really thinks about every single yeah. thing that's that he says and every single thing that that carries mm. through all of his material yeah, he never feels like a guy who went like, "Oh, that's a good joke," yeah, and then that's all he does on that subject. He right. exhausts it, mm-hmm. and in mm-hmm. very clever ways, like yeah. really deep dives on it. And I loved the, um, I think it was in the New Yorker after Carlin died, Jerry Seinfeld uh, wrote an obit, and mm-hmm. uh, the sort of the theme to that was Carlin did it. He said, you know, uh, we would sit around and talk about, oh, what about a bit of, about this? And they'd say, ah, Carlin did it. And way better than we could ever think about mm-hmm. it. And then he said, and of course, like, uh, you know, we're all sitting around wondering who's going to die first. And Carlin did it. <laughs> that was kind of yeah. the end of the obit. Yeah. But it was neat to see how much he revered him and how he had covered so many things. And mm-hmm. like, it's interesting to me, Jim, that you said you heard that FMAM album and said, well, every joke's already been done, yeah. but then he tops himself. Like there's just, it's limitless yeah. what you can joke about, even though it feels like, well, when someone puts out something that good and that exhaustive, that yeah. it's, it's done. Well, that's, but he kept proving wrong yeah. just himself. Well, he like kept I say, I wrong. thought every joke had been done. And then I see him do yeah. class clown and went, that's the job. So there's more jokes to be written. Right. You know, mm-hmm. for me, I was such a fan, but I, I purposely avoided doing what he was doing. I, I went the other route, maybe old style one-liners. Right. 
but I, I was doing it. You know, yeah. I was just happy that, you know, uh, I just didn't want to copy him because yeah. that's all I'll hear for the rest of my career. Yeah. Sure. He's just Carlin. Well, I mean, I, I think it's, <laughs> he's almost so omnipresent that you could charge any comedian with copying him yeah. at this point. Well, yeah. it, it's like, so Lenny Bruce kind of create, not created, but he forged the seed, uh, the, that seed of confessional comedy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And like that, you said, that, the that personal and, perspective and that yeah, rhythm and energy. stuff. But Carlin made it accessible to everyone, yeah. and I think, and then, then from that, you you know, you get all these other comedians kind of growing out of that, and I think, you know, I think mainstream comedy owes a lot to Carlin now. Mm-hmm. Um, oh yeah, like sure. it's it's mm-hmm. it, the the older school like Borscht Belt kind of comedy is mm-hmm. gone effectively. Yeah, yeah. Um, and you know that that indie alt. What what we label alt comedy now was what he was doing, and, and although I would say, um, oh, what's the new in town? What, uh, Mulaney. Don Mulaney. I would say Mulaney has some flavor of that old he, school he kind he of. Does uh, but it's a veneer. Yeah, there's a sardonic it's, spin yeah, on it for sure. It, which it's, it's so dark. I mean, it's a deliberate choice too. Yeah, which is like he's like, okay, this is the voice of the day. I'm going to create something that's. A distinct brand yeah very and i like it because it's it's not quite the caricature that some people do no. a lot of people make fun of vaudeville yeah. for like a bit mm-hmm. but i feel like Mulaney almost embodies it yeah yeah and he comes across that way yeah. but he's mm-hmm. got a very dark heart and it's great the jokes yeah. that come mm-hmm. out of that mm-hmm. earnestness yeah and it's it's interesting too in that we're sort of like reached the point where everything like Harlan's legacy has become so pervasive. Now we're having people turning the other way and creating comedy in a voice that's sort of in that you know, men and men and women in suits and, and dresses mm-hmm. and, and that old fashioned mm-hmm. sort of sensibility mm-hmm. to cut through the noise, yeah. which was still part of his stuff in the beginning. Like he's, oh, yeah. it's interesting how his voice kind of got distilled, like being brought up by people like, um, like I'm, uh, Bob Newhart uh, mm-hmm. and uh, Nichols and May. I mean, I'm sure is stuff that Carlin was listening to. And like yeah. you know, when you listen to Burns and and Carlin, it's very much that oh, kind yeah, of yeah, and ja- thing. And John Burns, he, he was like part of that first Second City crowd, like right. him and uh, Jack Burns. Uh, yeah, Jack yeah. Burns and Robert uh, Klein. A- yeah, Avery Schreiber. Uh, oh, Avery Schreiber. Schreiber yeah, like they, his, so his partner afterwards. Yeah, they, they hooked up at Second City, and, and yeah. you know, Elaine May, Mike Nichols and Elaine May were yeah. part of yeah, yeah, the original. birth of that as yeah, well. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So it's like, it's yeah. this stew, and, or, the, or these different voices. Yeah. I love that era from. because you can hear the old school sort of cheesy stuff that's still very much in the structure of what they think comedy can be, but you can hear that modern sensibility just sort of bursting wanting to come mm-hmm. out and mm-hmm. like and then and then carlin just sort of threw open the doors for yeah everybody. yeah yeah it's like lenny took all the chances and carlin picked up the ball and ran with it you right know? yeah yeah uh, he, he he knew how to sort it out and make it mainstream i guess yeah well i think he made it funny i mean yeah i, I don't yeah. i don't think lenny bruce is the funniest guy mm-hmm. I, I i respect him and he like you said he took chances yeah and but what what he did like you said is just oh we can do whatever we want cool yeah. Yeah. and yeah. now i've got stuff that people will actually laugh at because it's controversial mm-hmm. but i can write it better than the stuff lenny right. was doing just for the shock value yeah 
Mm-hmm. Although I still love some of that cheesy old stuff. I think the uh, the, the album we did, the Bob Newhart album, uh, oh, the, yeah. the button down might have Bob yeah. Newhart. Uh, is one, to me, one of the is greatest. That, is that the one that has like the Abe Lincoln? And it's yeah, all one sided yeah, yeah, yeah. phone conversation. It's, it's like the, and the, one of the driving first... instructor. Yes. And things yeah. like that. Yeah, well, yeah, that's, that's the great. thing with Bob Newhart. Hey, Bob Newhart, I think, is like Seinfeld because there's this bit, this bit that Mulaney talks about about how Seinfeld is way darker than people realize, mm. whereas. Seinfeld has this bit about going to the theater and when he's done in the theater he's got his drink in his hand and he just lets it go because that's not his responsibility hmm. the people who work there they're there to clean up after him <laughs> which is a super dark concept and I think Newhart was sort of like that too and I think that's yeah. that through line of hmm. like you're working in something that on the surface is just completely you know, completely straight and completely innocuous and completely welcoming. But there's that little, little dark scene. And, you, yeah. and watching Newhart's material, like his TV shows afterwards, all the way up to the like the finale of the the, the of Newhart, Newhart mm-hmm. where mm-hmm. it calls back to his first TV show in yeah, that like he, strange he, he way. He wakes up in the Bob Newhart show, I think. Yeah, right? yeah, in bed yeah. with his wife from yeah. the first show, right. and it's like yeah, that's like so layered and so. Mm-hmm well thought out and so dark in a way because it's like oh and these people didn't it. exist you know they're they're like all these like seasons of people there they were a figment of his imagination it's also very gutsy because there are many people who never even saw that yeah show i watched yeah. newhart with my family but i'd never seen the bob newhart show like yeah. that alienates so much of the audience <laughs> yeah. it, it's amazing that the network let him do it like but, it's yeah. just such a 180 which is why it's so like i think the contrast of carlin versus say a modern voice like Mulaney is so so interesting because they're both able to take similar themes and just approach them in such different distinct ways and, and they subvert they, it for the they time subvert that it. yeah in, in different ways and it's like but and they both have value and they both like mm-hmm. Carlin ages well like you listen to his albums mm-hmm. for the most part they they you laugh at all of them yeah Lenny Bruce we did uh, Carnegie Hall the Carnegie yeah. Hall yeah. session and that was a slog for me. It was, it was, I'm like, when I put it in context, I'm like, oh, I see what he's doing here. Sure. So I can intellectually deconstruct a joke. But it's not time. But I'm not laughing. No. You know, so, yeah. And it's, I, I think people were laughing because they were surprised more than anything. Yeah. Yeah. He was jazzy. I, he was I, yeah. very jazzy. He think, was a beatnik. I think there's a thing about, about a lot of Carlin's material over the years that, like, maybe more than any other comic that I can think of where you listen to it now and you're like, Oh, is he talking about now? Do you know what I mean? Like, oh, yeah. God, yeah. Oh, like, yeah. America the Beautiful, like, Australia's oh, on yeah, fire. Yeah. That, you know, that, that, that song is so, yeah. pre- yeah. it's almost prescient. Sea to know? oily sea. Yeah, it's, like, completely relevant to now. And, like, almost all of his albums have at least, like, I would say all of his albums have at least one joke, if not an yeah. entire album that could easily be coming out yesterday or yeah. tomorrow so many of his yeah. political observations are oh yeah still very yeah there's relevant. a the, yeah. like i said i listened to jamming in new york as well today and there, there was a there's a thing in there where he's there's a bit about entropy and in it he's like you can see the fabric of society just now beginning to come apart at the edges and the seams and i'm like no <laughs> yeah 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 <laughs> Is that uh, the one where he's talking about the earth and it just flicks yeah. us off like fleas? Yeah, yeah. Down. It's like yeah. the planet is fine. The people are <laughs> fucked. <laughs> <laughs> no, I saw him do that bit live at, yeah. at the Pantages. Oh, wow. And How many was... times have you seen him, Jim? 
I think I saw him three times, and then I was going to, oh, four times. Uh, so, Dale Keefe, Roy Thompson, Pantages, and Casino Rama. Over how long a period of time? I think every 10 years I would see him. It was one of the, I didn't plan it that way. It just happened to come out that way. Um, and I was, I did have tickets for his next thing at Roy Thompson, but he got ill and canceled. And so, and wow. the next year he passed away. Wow. So I would have seen him five times, I guess. Wow. And just, he just always had it, you know? And I mean, he, the thing with Carlin too is he loved it. Like he was performing up until the week before he passed. Yeah, you know, yeah, like yeah. he. This was, this wasn't just a job. It was a job, but it was it was a, a love, and and you can hear that I think mm -hmm. in his material. The care he puts into how he crafts his material is not somebody who's like I'm doing this because uh, this is my career path. It's, it's, he's doing it because he loves speaking his truth. Well, and this makes me wonder too. Back to your point, Robin, about how you wrote even the ums like. Mm -hmm. I'm curious how, I mean, later on, it's more obvious that he wrote everything to the wink, like when it gets into almost poetry type of stuff. Mm -hmm. But I wonder how many of his bits were written word for word and performed word for word. Because it seems necessary for them to be performed exactly the way he does them, but they're performed so naturalistically. And I know some of the best comedians do that. They write it the way they talk and they do it the same every time. And it's baffling to me how real that sounds um eddie azard uh, did a surprise show a few years ago at comedy bar and there was only like 60 of us in the in the mm -hmm. audience room or something it was amazing and uh my friend ian mcintyre he went to both shows i think it was him someone i spoke to saw both shows and they said it was pretty much exactly the same but he feels so ranty though so mm -hmm. tangential how do you say it like tangential Tangential. I know that's how it's spelled, and I never was comfortable with saying it. Tangential. Hey, I don't feel I belong here when I heard sardonic or <laughs> <laughs> I'm out of my league. But, uh, yeah, like, he, he sounds so tangential. <laughs> tangential. God damn. Um, and, and you swear, it's like, where was I? Anyway, blah, blah, blah. But, like, people would say, he no, he did it exactly like that in the yeah. second show. Mm -hmm. And that stuff blows my mind. So, and like, almost fake... It seems, still sounds so genuine, but you're almost faking that you're lo you've lost your place. And it's so yeah. hard because there's, um, yeah. I'm forgetting his name. He does a show on Netflix and the BBC where he goes around to places with his father, who's kind of British and racist. Okay. Um, like, oh, kind of. Traveling with my father. <laughs> yeah, or traveling something. with my father. Yeah. 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 Uh, so I saw him um, a couple years ago at JFL 42. And I was like, oh, this is. I, I watched his bit, you know, because I had the pass and I got the to refunded token and all that jazz. And I'm like, oh, this was fine. But then I watched this. I'm like, oh, Jack Whitehall. And, I, and so then I'm like, oh, I'll watch his special. And it was exactly the same, but it felt wrong. It's not like oh, Carlin you know, or something. I had that experience. Um, this is going to be crazy, but I had that experience seeing Robin Williams the last time he was in Toronto. Oh. Yeah, I went with my dad and we saw Robin Williams at whatever Sony's, the O'Keefe Center Sony's, was called at that time. No, Hummingbird Sony, 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 Sony Center or whatever. Center, yeah. And it was amazing. Like It was an amazing show. And then at the end of the summer, he did that same show live on HBO. Mm -hmm. And I watched that performance and it was the same performance, but it didn't land for me at all. Yeah. Just too rehearsed. 
Maybe. Well, yeah, I don't. I don't know what it was for me with Whitehall, but it's just it was like there's like ad libs, quote unquote ad libs that were not ad ad libs, which is fine because that you but the you ad lib something in the moment and it's like that landed really well. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I want to carry that through. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But it felt stilted. It yeah. felt so just wrong. So Jim, yeah. did you remember when you saw? I mean, when we listened to Class Clown upstairs, yeah. He did a bit where he made the swallowing sound effect, and you're like, "Oh, that sounds different than when I said." Where th- was there anything else that you felt was not exactly? No, as it was not in the really. Be- mm. And that's the thing. Just getting back to Rountain for me, watching Carlin do that before I got the album, and then I listened to the album, and I just felt like I was back at the O'Keefe. Mm. So it didn't bother me that I'm hearing it word for word again. That's what mm. I wanted to hear. Sure. And and that's a lot of pr- that's a big problem with a lot of uh, audience members. I've had people come up to me. After the first show, and they went, that was fantastic. We bought tickets for the second show. Oh, my God. What are you doing? (laughs) But Woody Allen Allen said, like, you don't write a new act, right, in two hours. So Woody Allen had said that that happened to him. And he felt, he said, why am I concerned about that? My act is an act. It's a play, you know, and Mm -hmm. I do it the same every night. Mm -hmm. You wouldn't go to a cat on a hot tin roof. And then see the second performance and expect different dialogue. Yeah. No. So it's <laughs> it's a piece of art, and so a lot of so like Eddie Izzard, he's just working that out, getting it polished, maybe for his TV yeah. special or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's a bit. Yeah, it is disappointing to see them do the same stuff. But it, it's it's not even a dis- it's, I expect it. I mean, I know enough about comedy that I yeah. expect that. But there's just sure. some people who are able to achieve it, and Carlin is yeah. one of those. Yeah. It's like it yeah. never feels stilted or faked it feels genuine every time and yeah. i can listen to an album a million times i could watch a special a million times and it feels fresh no i think that's a times. skill though that isn't yeah. talked about a lot like, like he, he's able to discover it in the moment every time yeah, yeah that yeah. that genuine like sort of what you're saying before jim you have to be able to be an actor you have to mm-hmm. you have to find that emotion again and, and find mm-hmm. the excitement and what you need to deliver the joke properly yeah for me i was just happy that i knew i had an act that worked Mm-hmm. anywhere in Canada and so I was just this is fantastic mm-hmm. um, I can go on in front of 200 strangers and make them laugh um, Brent Butt even said to me he says man when you're on stage you're like the happiest guy in the room <laughs> <laughs> it's just because it's, I'm in my zone know, nobody can touch a, me I don't know yeah. if that's a compliment <laughs> oh, <right>. <laughs> <laughs> no one else was laughing Jim, <laughs> but you were having a great time <laughs> I didn't even notice they weren't laughing. I had the best time. The joke was, what do you mean? They were on their feet and walking and, and, and yeah, and walking out the door. <laughs> uh, uh, gentlemen, what do you think is, uh, it's a crazy question, but a modern day equivalent. Like, who is someone who, I mean, someone younger than, say, Seinfeld. I think Seinfeld is probably the most obvious uh, passing of the torch. But uh, You think Seinfeld is the passing of the torch from Carlin? Well, I mean, I it's, feel... it's funny because, like, when you said he wrote the obituary, I'd love, I, I'm going to search that out and read it. But I, I always, it, it, when I was younger, like, in, when I was consuming Carlin albums in the '90s, and mm-hmm. Seinfeld was doing Seinfeld in the '90s, I always saw them as like diametrically really? opposed. Well, I mean, uh, Seinfeld definitely doesn't have the yeah. anger in most of his material, but I think the sharp eye for observation. Yes, yeah. So, and so the like exhausting now, of a topic. Now, when I go back and I think about like what Carlin was doing, Carlin was doing in like 81, right. like A Place for My Stuff, that yes. very clearly yeah, that's is very Seinfeld. what evolved into the Seinfeld yeah. observational mm-hmm. comedy rubric. Yeah. Um, I, I always felt that Seinfeld was Carlin in a suit. 
Mm. Oh, that's mm. interesting. Yeah. That's and, a great and, way to put it. And almost, uh, he found a way to really, um, he'd have an observation, but he knew how to make it an even stronger punch mm-hmm. and tags. Mm-hmm. And, I, and now, mind you, when I listen to Class Clown tonight for the first time in years, I can hear him with strong punches at the end and, and tags. So, uh, so for a long time, I felt Seinfeld was just a guy who figured out Carlin and then knew how to add something more to it. Right. Hmm. You know, because Carlin used to have observations like, you ever notice the handrail and the escalator goes a little bit faster than you do? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But then there was nothing after that. Yeah, he and would just so, move on to another observation. Because it was new. We're all sitting there going, yeah, yeah. I've noticed yeah. that, right? Mm-hmm. Have and you ever then, heard this? Where are the good scissors? <laughs> yes. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah, then nothing it doesn't yeah, attach to anything. But yeah, Seinfeld was good at making a whole bit around yeah. something yeah. like that. Yeah, mm-hmm. he he was he rejuvenated airplane material. I mean, <laughs> his, his whole bit about the little bathroom on the plane and the Wolfman shaving, I think it's fantastic. Well, it's interesting how you know in the '90s for me when I was doing stand-up, if you were doing dog and cat jokes, you were a hack. Okay, right. Mm-hmm. But now there's no such thing as being a hack. Uh, Bill Burr does like nine minutes on his the pit bull that his girlfriend brought home. Right. <coughs> so there's dog material. So yeah. it's 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 all about you finding an angle and an emotion to attach to it. Bill Burr is an interesting name to bring up because mm-hmm. he's sort of an angry blue collar kind of guy, yeah. mm-hmm. uh, anti-establishment. I'm not the biggest fan, to be honest. Nor am I. He's a little inflammatory for my taste. Takes a, takes a while to get used to him, but yeah. So. Yeah, like he's <laughs> when people joke about like beating their wives and kids and stuff like that mm-hmm. stuff for me is a little mm-hmm. it's hard for me to laugh at, but uh, but yeah he he's probably he's a similar mm-hmm. energy mm-hmm. maybe. Well, who would you say it's? I mean, there's if you'd asked me a few years ago, yeah, I might have said Louis C.K. Yeah, but yeah. I have always <laughs> always had this relationship with Louis C.K.'s comedy where, like. 50% of what he's doing is the thing that I love most about comedy and the thing that I look for when I go to consume stand-up comedy. And then the other 50% of it is 100% not for me. Yeah, he tends um, to ruin himself yeah, often. Yeah, like, like even if... Vulgar even, and... Chappelle even if, is a bit like lazy. that. Even if too. you go yeah. back to like his, his earlier stuff in like you know the mid-2000s, it's like 50% amazing observations about you know life and the other 50% is him shitting on his wife. It's lazy which, vulgarity, which yeah. Which I don't like at all no. <laughs> no. I, I, I th- um, sometimes literally yeah <laughs> i think if i Easy had <laughs> if i think if i had to choose somebody it would be Patton oswald yeah because like huh. uh, bruce begat carlin carlin begat um hicks hicks begat Patton. It's uh, like I, they, they've literally in each case they're like people who i feel like had Patton's... interactions and had like inspired and mentored one another so there is an actual physical through line but also well, i can hear the pop pop culture zeitgeistiness yeah. of Patton, the observation but especially now like pat early Patton, no right Patton now Patton post like He's his tragedies and... well is, is, there's sadness there there's there's right. there's there's like yeah. before it was like He's oh there. my kid's gonna throw my blade runner gun on the roof yeah let's talk about star wars yeah and... that's funny but that's funny in like a hyper nerdy specific way but mm-hmm. talking about like losing your wife and raising a daughter and finding love again is like these deep resonant themes that are Carlin-esque in their universality. Mm-hmm. So I think, I wouldn't say 10 years ago, Patton, 
even maybe five years ago, Patton, but Patton now, I think, mm. is an avatar of that same kind of truthfulness in your comedy that Carlin was. And does that come back to what you, I think you said it earlier about being confessional? Yes. That's mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I just, yeah go ahead. Please go ahead. Well, yeah. I was just going to say my observation about confession, sometimes it's just people are just up there and just confessing, but there's no joke to it. Well, that's mm -hmm. the thing. It's, that's the talent that's where, that, that where Carlin has yeah. and that Patton has is there's still a joke there. Mm -hmm. yeah. And they, they, some people don't recognize that or understand that, but both of them knew, oh, I still need to make people laugh it's not yeah. just you're they're not paying me to be like for for me to use them as a therapy session they're paying me to make them laugh and they have they remember that and that's that's i think the trick and that's where i think that connection comes from the other name that i would say who is you know maybe a little bit younger um who i forget about and i shouldn't is mike Perpiglia. oh yeah yeah well yeah. He, i was thinking about him earlier when jim was saying um uh, you know you like one-liners uh and, and, and I was saying how the audience, it has to be a great joke for the audience to wait for it. Mike Birbiglia has such a slow pace sometimes mm -hmm. and such confidence in his story, and he will make you wait. And sometimes it's not a joke. Sometimes mm -hmm. it's not a laugh. Sometimes it's a it's a heartfelt yeah. thing. It's a it's a sadness or something. Mm -hmm. And he's just a master storyteller. He's in a class by himself. Anyway, you you were yeah you no know, I, I agree back with, up your point, I agree with everything that you said. Yeah, like yeah. he he's a he's I haven't seen the new one, which I think is called the new one. Nor have I. Uh, <laughs> you come over and watch it. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, he he's his confidence to be able to to go that long without a joke, knowing that he's got them wrapped yeah. in his yeah. story a, is fantastic. I think the one of the greatest examples of, of comedic storytelling is on uh, Thank God for Jokes. There's that segment in the middle about, it's the Catsachusetts segment, which is just brilliant. I'm not sure I remember that. It it's, sounds ridiculous. I, I'm not going to try and recount okay. it here because yeah. I can't. But mm -hmm. uh, basically, he just he's, he says, like, me and my wife were going to Massachusetts, and we called it Catsachusetts, and that's <laughs> it just funny. Goes on too it's long. just a stupid joke. And then it's like, it's a 10-minute long thing that has a turn at the end of it, mm -hmm. and it's hilarious. And it's also beautiful. Awesome. Yeah. I, I, th I think it just comes down to Carlin's gift to comedy was honesty. Mm -hmm. Like, mm -hmm. just is being true to yourself as an artist and a comedian and a human on stage. And you, whatever that truth is, if that truth is, I want to play a character and enjoy playing that character, then that's that truth. Or it could be a confession, or it can be any mix thereof. But I think he was yeah. one who, like, he bridged that gap that... I think As though he's, it's a little bit more specific in, in him that he didn't he did never felt to me even though he's goofy, he never felt self deprecating. No, he always felt like the voice of authority to me, like that he knew what he was talking about yeah. and like there wasn't really an option to disagree. Yeah, mm -hmm. but in in a non paternalistic way. Like, and yeah, he, he was he was uh, he's an authority authoritative being an in authority. a non authoritative way. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah he just was genius. like, well, let me just tell you the truth yeah. Yeah. yeah to call back to my material yeah. a weird uncle yeah <laughs> i feel like i feel like <laughs> that that's... actually came to mind as you were talking about <laughs> i wonder if like bill murray would have been that type of comedian i feel like he would have if he was a stand-up he would yeah. have been carlin-esque yeah. well i think laid maybe back at first then angry I, later yeah i mean like he was a very angry young man true yeah, yeah. so i i don't know like i think now he'd be carlin-esque but i think it would have been a very different journey I think it might have been the opposite for him. He might have started where Carlin ended up and then became mellower as, yeah, as yeah. he aged. 
Who knows? Anyway, gentlemen, this has been a real treat. Uh, thank you for joining us for this. Yeah. Uh, thank you to, as always, Matt Ardill, producer and future current host of the podcast. Uh, I'll talk about that in a second. And uh, thank you to Jim McAleese. Did I say it right? Yes, you did. Right and, on. Uh, I'm looking forward to next week's podcast where we review the best of Myron Cohen. If you say so. <laughs> uh, you could find uh, Jim McAleese at various uh, comedy things happening in town. He also teaches at Second City, and you could find him on Facebook. Uh, thanks to you, Robin Archer, for joining us. I'm glad we worked it out. I know you're a huge fan, and it was great to have your insights. It was a pleasure. Thank you so um, much for having me. Our, our pleasure. And you can find Robin on Twitter at AllThingsRobin, R-O-B-I-N. And uh, he does various shows across uh, town as well. Uh, I'm Jason DeLine. This is my last show as host of Comedy Album Book Club. It's been a pleasure to listen and talk about many of my favorite albums and yours. And now it's time to bring in some new blood, new passions, interests, and knowledge. Uh, Matt will be taking the reins, and I'm excited to see and hear what he does with the show. I appreciate your support, and as always, thank you for listening to Comedy Album Book Club. This podcast. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today, or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.